Welcome to Behavioral Groups, the podcast that explores human behavior through a behavioral science lens. I'm Kurt. And I'm Tim. Here at Behavioral Groups, Kurt and I combine our passions and work to explore why we do what we do with researchers, authors, and practitioners in a conversational setting in order to bring those insights to you. We also want to remind you that we're practitioners of behavioral science. Tim is the Enterprise Director of Behavioral Science at Truist Bank in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he is bringing behavioral science into the DNA of the organization. That's not only helping out the company, but it is also focused on helping out Truist customers. And I have to say, I think that Truist is really lucky to have him. I'm blushing. <laughs> and Kurt is the owner and president of The Lantern Group, uh, based in Minneapolis, Minnesota and Boulder, Colorado. Now, The Lantern Group is a behavioral change and communication agency that applies behavioral science insights to help companies improve their employee communication, motivation, and leadership. And, and they've developed some pretty cool tools to help individuals achieve their goals and drive results, like their Brain Shift Journal and other shift guides that they're working on. Well, thanks for that great plug, Tim. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are nothing but humble, but it is, I think it's important actually just to remind our listeners uh, that, you know, we're not just making shit up. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're using and learning and applying behavioral science literally every day. Yeah, true. So, so true. So in today's conversation, Tim and I are going to groove on a very common idea that's been beaten into our heads for more than 2,000 years. This idea of know thyself. And we are going to groove on this because Tim and I saw a very nice snippet of a TED Talk from actor Ethan Hawke, where he emphasized how important it is to do what we love. In order to do that, we must know ourselves. And that comment got us thinking, how well do we know ourselves? Kurt's done a lot of work in self-schemas and self-identity, and in past episodes, we've discussed the variety of ways we can identify and take apart sort of different parts of ourselves but we really haven't addressed the entire self. So we thought we'd use this episode to groove on the entire self topic. And as always, we'd love to hear what you think about knowing yourself. Drop us a note or write us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, Tim, let's get started with some background. The earliest forms of know thyself. How about if we start there? Sounds great. Yeah. When when do we know when what does the historical record show about people thinking about knowing thyself? Well, we're going to focus on the Western record, the Western history. We're not diving into the Eastern record, which I'd probably go to the Bhagavad Gita, which predates a lot of the Greek stuff, but um, we, I don't have good scholarly knowledge on that. So uh, if we have listeners who, uh, especially Indian listeners, send us a note, drop us a line, help us with this. We'd love to engage in a conversation about that. But in Western civilization... Okay. Tell us about Western civilization, Tim. Let's go back to about f more than 450 BCE or before Common Era, and we look at the Temple of Apollo at Delphi. So the Temple of Apollo at Delphi was built roughly 450 BC, and there were three maxims that were 
inscribed into the forecourt of the uh, of of the temple, and they were know thyself. Okay. Nothing to excess. Ooh, I like that one. And surety brings ruin. Oh, I am Ooh. sure we could groove on all three of those. <sighs> yeah. However, we don't have time, so let's just focus in on know thyself. So this is the first that we know, at least that we have a record of. Right. This idea that knowing thyself has been something that people are contemplating, that they're thinking about this, that we're trying to understand ourselves. But even a little bit after that, right, we we get some insight into this from the philosopher that we all know from high school, Socrates. What did Socrates say about this, Tim? Yeah. So I, I just to emphasize this, it was probably around as a as a big deal, this know thyself thing before they built the Apollo. Oh, uh, I'm temple. sure it was. Yes, right. So, so, but Socrates comes along at uh, you know roughly 300 plus BC, 350 BC, and he says, and this is a, an incredibly famous quote we've heard before: "The unexamined life is not worth living." Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a big deal. He is the one who goes down in history as letting us know that being reflective. Is kind of what makes us people human, makes makes us real. This is what gives us a sense of purpose: is examining our own life and being reflective. All right, and so his student then Aristotle brings this to a different level. And, and what does Aristotle say about knowing thyself? So he's got a little different twist on it. And Aristotle writes: knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Okay. Not, not just part. Not, it's not the just... beginning of all wisdom. Yeah, yeah. And that, of course, that wisdom is something that is a platform for our life, so it extends to our personal and professional and every aspect of our life. So that's a pretty big statement. But it still gets back to this idea of, I've got to know myself. Yeah. And fast forward a few hundred more years, uh, and we get to the Roman Empire, and we get to... Uh, Marcus Aurelius, um, one of my favorite uh, Stoics, and talking about the same thing. What does what does Marcus say about knowing thyself? I know that Marcus is one of your favorites. He is, uh, you know, yeah. The, and and Stoicism is is one of your your favorites. I I like the philosophy that it brings. So Marcus Aurelius said this: Look well into thyself. There is a source of strength which will always spring up if thou wilt always look. Nice uh, uh, old English uh, <laughs> translation of this. Thou wilt always look. But, but I love this because, again, what he is talking about here is that understanding and looking into thyself is a source of strength if you will look. That is the if part that I think is really important um, from from Marcus's kind of interpretation of this. Very much so. Uh, that is a very much the case. And um, and things pretty much sit on this idea of knowing thyself as an entire life value for the next thousand years, actually the next 1,500 years, basically. So, well, I'm sure there has been conversations and talking, but we just are not aware of that, but it comes back into our uh, world uh, in, a, in a different manner in the 1800s. So what, talk a little bit about that. 
Uh, yeah, well, actually, let's start with John Locke. Oh, in, so even in, before that. In the 1600s, let's start with John Locke because he starts to sort of uh, break the story. So as opposed to saying it's all about our whole life, he has a different way of looking at this. He says that, that um, we are the same person to the extent that we are conscious of our past and future thoughts and actions in the same way that we are conscious with our present thoughts and actions. In other words, me as I know myself is the or is really just the story that I have of my own memories and the way that I think of myself in the future. Anything that doesn't jive with those memories or or my anticipated self that is either now or in the future isn't me. So this idea that the self is not fixed. So there isn't yeah. a self that is constant throughout your life, that yourself is, uh, in other words, it's changing. It is a collection of experiences, collection of memories and perceptions that are evolving. So the yeah. person that I am today is not the same person I was a year ago because during that year, I've had different experiences and have different memories and maybe even have a different outlook on life because of the situation and context. So that self who I was is not the same self that I am. Exactly. And this brings us, this becomes sort of the, the pedestal on which a lot of modern psychological research is founded. Like Hal Hirschfield, we had a great conversation with Hal. He's a professor at UCLA, psychology professor. And he said, our future self will be different from our present self. He kind of made a conclusive statement that, like, don't even think that, that we're going to be the same person because we're not. Right. That that idea, again, of looking out that our self is this ever-evolving, ever-changing person. And we've seen that from uh, a lot of the research when you ask people about things such as their preferences, their values, who they hang out with those change throughout our lives. And that idea that we have a core self is being, well, challenged. Yeah. It's also challenged by not just the popular writer, but great researcher, Brene Brown. She even goes so far as to say that our core values change. Not just like the little world that we live in or where we live or who we vote for. Our core values change, yeah. which is based on solid psychological research as well. And then we had the wonderful opportunity to take this even to the next step of talking with uh, Professor Brian Lowry, who at, at Stanford, yeah. at Stanford, who talks about the self not just as an individualistic piece, but that the self is a product of who you're with, which. For those of you who haven't listened to this, this it, it was well over my intellectual capability of foul, but Tim did really well, and you love this concept, right? <laughs> I do, in part because it challenges the idea. Well, first, it's built on the foundation of John Locke's idea that we're this collection of memories, our current perception of ourselves, and our future anticipation of ourselves. But, but all those things. Brian Lowry argues, is influenced by who we're around. And to the point that our self is being determined by the people that we right. are with. So if I walk into a room that has a different set of people, my self changes. Yes. And that, again, 
blows my head, which <laughs> makes this whole idea of knowing ourselves difficult, right? <laughs> yeah. Because as we've talked about before, um, all right, is is our self about our preferences? Do I prefer X over Y? And is that consistent? But we know our preferences change. Right. And our preferences don't just change over time. They change in how something is presented to us. We could go spend a whole episode on that. Our values are our values, our self. But as Brene Brown shows, our values, even our core values can change over time. So it's not that. So knowing ourself isn't just understanding our core values. Is, is it our faith? Is it um, that? But we know faith comes and goes for some people. And yeah, for some people it's consistent, but it doesn't mean that it is. Um, what about relationships? They go on to Brian Lowry, right? Well, we get into a different room with different people. Relationships change. So what is our core self? Mr. Hulhan? Our How core, do we answer this? We're going to answer that in the next section. But but I will say this. I will say this, that when Lori Santos introduced the idea of the G.I. Joe fallacy, that and, and she's a professor at, um, at Yale, by the way, a psychology professor at Yale. When, when Lori said, knowing is half the battle, we're not even close. <laughs> well, and she says that that knowing is not half the battle. That is That's the right. fallacy of the G.I. Joe, fallacy, where right. he ends the cartoon saying, knowing is half the battle. Well, no, it's not. Actually, knowing is just a really little bit. And this idea that knowing oneself is half the battle, well, A, if we don't even know what the self is, how are we even going to be able to know that? So with that, let's uh, talk next about how we find out who our self is and who that core person really is and how we can examine that life. Okay, so we've covered how knowing thyself has been a key tenant of philosophy and psychology for thousands of years. And I hope that we've shown that this is not just a philosophical question, but it's also a psychological question. And, and we can ask ourselves this, it's knowing ourselves can be an important guidepost. Is it a guidepost that can actually help us along the path to finding our groove? <laughs> I like you bringing this groove part into this because we end every episode with finding your groove. And it's this idea that we have of the groove that you live is the best life, right? It's this life that is a wonderful life for you. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to know who you are. You have to figure out that core self. So it gets back to the question that Socrates wants us to answer is, how do we examine our lives? So how do yeah. we do that, Tim? Tell, give us, give us the, the way to make this all happen. Well, uh, we're not going to answer it with a short uh, yes or no. Oh, man. <laughs> we're going to actually, we're going to put it back on the listener and we need to ask ourselves some questions. Right. I think, I think that we need to start there and let's just make sure that when we answer those questions that we're going to tell ourselves the truth. Okay. okay. Well, and that is part of the big issue with this, isn't it? It's seeing um, past our own biases yeah. in order to understand who we are 
at our core. And we know, we know that our brains are really good at tricking us. This is the psychology. This is the behavioral science yeah. part of this, this idea that we have biases uh, and different ways that our brain sees the world that kind of, I don't know, change the truth in order to make it so that our self-identity is upheld, that if our self-identity is at stake of being harmed, at being changed, at being uh, questioned, mm -hmm. our brains trick us. So you've got some a list of biases here, I, I would imagine, is, is what you're thinking of, Kurt. Why, why, why don't you tick us through some of these? So I think it goes beyond just these biases, but biases are the easy way of thinking about this. So our egos are fragile things. For most of us, we tend to have a positive self-image of who we are, and our brains love them, right? <laughs> Do a lot to ensure that that positive image stays intact. I love so, that about my brain. <laughs> yes, it, 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 we have a positive. Uh, there's lots of research where they interview um, uh, prisoners who have done horrific things in their lives. Mm. And yet those prisoners do a wonderful mental gymnast gymnastics of saying, I'm not a bad person, that, that I killed that person, but they deserved it. Or the circumstances surrounding that murder led me to do that, but I, that's not the person I am. Right, that's not me. That's, that's, not, not, me. that's, not, that's not who I or am. Or it was core. justified, and I'm a good person for actually right. killing that person, right? That is, and that comes down to what we call the self-serving bias, right? Seeing our life, the the wins, part of that comes down to self-serving bias. That seeing the wins that we have in our life as a result of our effort and our thing, uh, uh, the work that we put into it, of our knowledge, of who we are, and then any losses or negative aspects of of that are because of factors outside of us. It was the the you know they made me do it, or I couldn't help myself because of X, Y, and Z. So that's there. Now, the, the self-serving bias sounds a lot like the fundamental attribution error. Applied right. to ourselves, right? So okay. fundamental okay. attribution error is we attribute those negative things to others uh, as they go forward and, and, and look for there. But yes, it's very similar from that. Okay. And another piece is motivated reasoning, right? This idea that we think about things and examine things with this idea of a uh, purpose. And so our brain looks at information and interprets it with a motivation underlying it. So that, again, we think of ourselves as being good people. So we will interpret information that comes to us through a lens that keeps us thinking that we are good people. So when you get a report back and uh, and your boss says, uh, you know, Kurt, uh, you did a nice job on, on that report. And uh, I think that I would have changed the third paragraph. And I think you kind of missed the point on uh, your conclusions. Um, but, it but it was good work. And you come away, all you heard was, I did a great job. I did a great job. <laughs> yeah. I did a great job. And that is that's confirmation bias as well, right? This idea of we... we filter the information yeah. in a way that 
reconfirms our pre-held beliefs. And so if I have a belief about myself that I am a smart, hardworking, good person, yeah, I'm going to only hear or hear more loudly those parts that reinforce that uh, versus the things that contradict that. Yeah. And then, well, there's also the intention action gap. Like this is just one of my favorites or, or what Scott Jeffrey, a professor at Quinnipiac university called the say do gap. Just absolutely love this idea that what we have in our intentions, what we intend to do is oftentimes very different than the actual behaviors that we exhibit. But we, because we're not very good at being rational and we are excellent at rationalizing, we're going to say, oh, well, that was because of this. That was yes. because of this circumstance. I couldn't do that because, oh, I didn't have time or whatever kind of rationalizing I get done. But a lot of things happen in our, in our brain as desires and intentions that don't get manifest in our lives. And so this, I think that this contributes to, to knowing ourselves yeah. as like, how do we know ourselves when we have this gap? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we look back and say, well, my intentions were good and I wanted to do that. I yeah. just didn't get around to you know, taking the garbage out, honey. I wanted to take the garbage <laughs> out, but I didn't. So and these are just a few of the biases yes. that we have that, that, again, demonstrate this idea that our brains are working overtime at an unconscious level for the most part, to maintain a positive self-image. And the piece that we have to take into account, if we're thinking about this, about understanding thyself, under knowing thyself, is how do we overcome our own biases right. to get a clear and honest assessment of who we are? So if I am always saying I'm going to take the garbage out, but I never take the garbage out. Can I think of myself as a garbage taker outer if I don't really do that, even though my intentions are there? And silly kind of no. example, but there is this piece that we have to get past that. And I think that is going to be the, that is the challenge that we have. And the solution isn't always easy and it's not always a hundred percent, but I do think we have a, a process that we are going to recommend. Yeah. Let's, so let's talk about that because I, I, I think that it was good that we walked through the biases because we need to, uh, we're, we're better equipped at examining ourselves and really trying to understand wh why we're motivated to do things. If we can take some of the veils off of what's what's uh, in our way of seeing why we are actually doing what we're doing. Right. So, so what what's the what do you think would be a good way to get through that, Kurt? So, we've kind of come up with a three step process, and it's all about asking questions for the most part. And it's good. this idea good. of asking questions about what brings you energy and happiness and fulfillment and is the positive side of things. And then it's also asking questions about what are those things in your life that take energy away or bring you anxiety or unhappiness. And then it's asking questions about 
what are those things in the world that we're required to do that are our expectations mm. upon us. Okay. And there is some aspect of being able to look at all three of those, that when we do this exercise, that we get some information down. And again, we have to be very wary of the biases that come into play and try to make sure that we're uh, not just having confirmation bias and motivated reasoning and all these other, the self-serving bias. But when we write down these things that make us happy and bring us energy, that they're truly that the things that we don't like about ourselves, we truly identify those and that these uh, responsibilities we have are really important. But there is some confluence between those three that when we look at that, what we're actually able to then come out of that with is who am I? And we have to preface that, that that is the, who am I right now, as well as the, who am I that I want to be moving forward? And so there's a key piece with that. Right. And not looking backwards, not looking at the, who was I as much as looking at who we are now and looking forward. We take the looking backwards to identify pieces of that we that are the pieces that we want to take forward with us right. and the pieces that we don't want to take forward with us. So yes, there is an aspect, but it isn't looking back and saying that that person who I was is the person I am. It's looking back with a perspective of saying, what do I want to move forward to? And what are those things that I understand as of today are driving my um, happiness, satisfaction, and life well-being. Okay, so let's get started on our three-part process here with part one. Questions that will help us identify what brings us energy and what 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 we want to aspire to and what we love about our life, right? Right, those positive aspects. And so there's 10 questions, and all of these will be in the show notes, and we'll have a document that you guys can download to, to go through this exercise. But the first first question is, what are the activities or experiences that make me feel most fulfilled or content, right? That, if we understand the behaviors, the actions, the experiences that are the ones that fill us with uh, this feeling of of contentment, of fulfillment, then let's make sure that we we understand why that is. That's the examining that part. And then we can ask other questions, which are like, when do I feel most authentic and genuine? So similar, but this is really, all right, I might feel fulfilled and content, but if I'm not really feeling like myself, that's a key question. Yeah. Context is part of that. Right, right. right. And then, then there's uh, what aspects of life are non-negotiable for me? Mm-hmm. I will never do X or I will always do this when presented in this situation. And that uh, tied in with that are what principles am I unwilling to compromise on? And for as much as we know that those principles may be compromised in the future and might have shifted throughout our life, understanding what we believe those to be currently are important because they ground us into a reality, right? 
And then we can start looking forward. What kind of person do I want to be remembered as, right? What are the causes or issues that I feel most passionate about? And what are the qualities that I admire most in others, right? And then we get into, again, questions that are around decisions and the situations that have made you feel proud. What are those, what are the decisions that you've made in your life or the situations that you have been a part of that have made you feel proud or satisfied? And that's where we are. Those are the yeah. questions, right? Yeah. And again, the next step is then looking at what are those things that not that don't bring us energy, but actually detract from that energy, right? Right. So what are the things that, that are going on in our life that actually don't make us feel good, right. that don't make us feel happy, that leave us feeling unfulfilled? We yeah. need to be able to identify what are the things uh, in our life that kind of you, you teed this up idea about what makes us feel guilty or uncomfortable. Right. So this idea of honestly reflecting on these questions can give you, can help you gain a greater self-awareness and identity um, into areas of your life that may be holding you back or bringing you down. And this awareness can help you understand who you are. Here's some of the questions that we have for this. What have been the lowest points in my life in the past year, five years? Understand what, looking back and being really honest, where have you, where have been those low points, right? Where do I stress the most? What are the situations that I'm placed in where I'm stressed, where I have uh, that anxiety that is coming up? What are those triggers that induce those negative emotions such as anger or sadness or anxiety? Where do I feel regret? Either for things, as Dan Pink talks about, that you've done or the regret for things that you haven't done? What are the types of situations or the people that you're hanging out with that drain energy from you and make you feel exhausted? And then what are the activities or situations that you tend to avoid or procrastinate on? And that one is an interesting one because if mm -hmm. you dig into that and you see patterns, that's where that comes in. What negative self-talk or inner critic do I struggle with? What are the things I ruminate on? And what are the things I say about who I am and what I need to do? And where do I worry about? What is that self-talk, that inner critic? And what is that inner critic saying? And again, by looking at these pieces, these are those aspects of our life where we're going... I don't want to repeat those. I, that's not who I want to be. So knowing what brings us the energy and satisfaction and also knowing what doesn't, now we have two sides of a coin, but we're even going to add a third. Also just want to point out, 
sort of the fullest experience is actually reflecting on all of these questions. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're going to skim. You're going to pick and choose. We, we, we know that because that's just real life. However, the fullest version of coming to the how to get to know thyself really comes from actually diving into the the nuances of each of these answers. And this isn't a you know a six hour exercise, but having these questions in front of you and sitting down and maybe just jotting some notes can be really helpful to get through these first two sections. Yes. And I think it's really important, as you said, Tim, to write this down to look at each of these questions and contemplate them. Some you might expand on uh, and go into depth, but at least consider each of them and take notes on each of them. Because part of this exercise is looking for those patterns, looking for Mm -hmm. the elements that come over and over and over again in your life. So this third part is about what we need to do in the world. And Tim, what are the questions that we can ask about that? So the idea behind this section is really uh, to not divorce ourselves from a world where we have to feed ourselves and we have to have a place to live uh, that, you know, kind of going back to sort of the, the hippie dreams of the 1960s, you know, weren't really well satisfied when you took money out of the equation. <laughs> so yes. you could be ideal, idealistic about pursuing what you love, but if you don't actually have enough money to feed yourself or have a safe place to, to sleep at night, it doesn't really work so well. It also comes into the fact that we're social creatures and that we are driven to have positive bonds yeah. and relationships with people. And sometimes... Those are things that we do because to maintain those, then they're about the other and not about ourselves. Yeah. So let's start with the world that you live in. When we think about what is it that we need to do, let's think about the world that we live in, relationships that we have. First, are you honoring your relationships when you think about all these the previous questions? Are you making a living so that you have money to supply for your basic needs and necessities. And what are the responsibilities of that job if you have that? And so every job comes with certain aspects that are are accountable. There are certain things we have to do from government and society. We have to follow the laws that we have in place or face the consequences of those or to uh, be accountable for certain uh, effort or production around those things. All of those come into play in understanding who we are and going back to the biases that we had at the beginning, sometimes we justify our behaviors because we say they, they fall into these things that we need to do. And so understanding what are the things that we really need to do versus the choices that we can make around this are important. Yeah. I, I just want to say one other thing about this. If uh, anyone is a fan of uh, Buddhism, you know that there are Buddhist monks that spend not just days or months, but they will spend years in caves meditating by themselves. And for a very, very small percentage of our global population, that works for them. 
right? <laughs> One out of a billion. Um, Not common. So it's likely, given the base rates, that if you're listening to this podcast, you're not going to be someone who can purely reflect on all of this and just feel good about just doing whatever you want. You're going to have to live in the world, right? Yes. You're, you're, you're going to have to it because, because it, it's not just about introspection. This is, where, this is where we also sort of diverge from the Socrates and Aristotle, that knowing ourselves isn't just a reflective action. It is also living the experience of being in the world, that we come to know ourselves. And that it is a crafting of that self. So it isn't just understanding who that self is. It is a blueprint or a development or a building mm. of that self, which is the powerful part about this that I love. We knowing that we change, right? The Hal Hirschfield, the the Brene Brown, knowing that that self is a malleable self. Well, let's make that self the best self that it can be. And that comes from an examination, but it comes from that change that comes into that. And that is this strong part. So we have this, what brings us energy and satisfaction. We have the things that we don't want to repeat, the, the, the negative sides. We know that all of this has to fit into this larger world that we live in, that we have responsibilities and considerations to make about the context of how we make a living and who we live with. All of that then can come to this element of, all right, so who am I? And what we have done with exercises or what I've done with some exercises and workshops is craft a six or seven word value statement. Who I am. Who are you at a core? And, and, and I specifically, I mean, we can write paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs about that. And it isn't always there because that just goes on and on. When you have to parse that down to a seven-word value statement, yeah, like what are you leaving out? You're leaving out a lot. Mm -hmm. So it is those seven words that get you to really hone in on what is important for you and who you are at your core. And it's taking that seven words from these exercises, these questions that we've just had you go through. We end each episode, right, of our of our podcast by saying, you know, we hope that you can use these things to help you find your groove. And honestly, that is easier if you answer these questions. You will be able to parse out what is most relevant to you if you start to look at what are the things that give me energy, what are the things that I don't want to do, what things I want to avoid, and then how do I live in the world? There are a number of avenues that we could have pursued, like neuroscience of who we are. <laughs> wait, wait, there's, there's neuroscience behind this knowing thyself thing? Cognitive neuroscience Stephen Fleming has demonstrated that self-awareness shapes our intelligence, our memory, conscious experience, and it's measurable in our brain. But... Oh, That's man. another story. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, let's wrap up how knowing thyself can help you find your groove. And I think it boils down to the three components of finding your groove, right? First, you need to be intentional about your life. Be aware 
of your mindset and how it influences how you go about your life and what you feel about it. That's a, this element of getting into your groove, of finding your groove is understanding and being intentional. So yeah. second, change your environment. Look at the habits and routines. So don't live the action in action or the intent uh, in action uh, thing, the say <laughs> do gap, right? It's like yeah. know it, know what you are intending to do and then go do that. And then uh, make sure that they're driving you to live the best life that you can. And lastly, set goals. Set goals for... Um, that are going to align with that core self that are going to uh, enhance who you are. And so this idea of understanding those core values around who you are and, and crafting what you want that to be, set your goals so that that helps achieve those, that they satisfy that piece and that they're not in antagonistic to that, that they are not, uh, moving you down the wrong, the wrong path. Yeah, that that is all good, Kurt and Groovers. We hope that you'll tune into our next episode when we hear from author and researcher and classic overachiever Michelle King, and she's going to talk about the importance of building strong informal networks to make your career and your work life really work for you. Right, and a really interesting conversation about how to maximize your ability, the work of work, as she calls it. And with that, we hope you are able to examine yourself a little bit and use that examination this week to go out and find your groove. Mm -hmm.